My name is Humble Gray, and I am a Mississippi farmer. Now here's a query for you, and take your time to answer. If you were to find, say, a bunch of dead bodies buried under a house, would you A, call the police, or B, leave a message for your best friend and then take a shower? That question came to mind when watching a horror movie called The Night House, though based on the choice our lead character makes, perhaps it should have been called The Nut House. Now, it's a psychological thriller in the vein of is this real or is she a few bricks short of a hod? And And there's no easy answer, at least as far as I can see. Kind of reminds me of what happened to my friend Rumson Carp. His uh, Uncle Cantrell passed, you see, and the two, they weren't that tight. I mean, some folks see their uncle as a second father, but to Rumson, he was more like an acquaintance, i.e. someone you nod to at family gatherings and sometimes call by name just to prove you remember it. But one Saturday morning, a few weeks after Cantrell's funeral, I was getting my bi-weekly cut at Zeb's Barbershop when Rumson came charging through the door. And this fellow, who prided himself on a natty appearance, he was quite disheveled. So much so, in fact, that Zeb told him he looked, quote, like a man possessed, unquote. Bullseye on the assessment, says Rumson, for that is exactly what I am. How so, says Lee Coleman, manager of the auto parts store off 315. I have received a visitation from my late uncle, says Rumson. You mean like in a dream, asked I? No, says the terrified man. I mean he appeared at the breakfast table this morning. Honest, says Zeb. Then tell us, did he impart any news from the afterlife or presage any omens? No, says Rumson. He just asked me to pass the raisin brand. I don't think that's an omen, unless it predicts I'm going to run out of cereal or something. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Farmer Gray's a skeptic when it comes to spooks and specters. I believe that's just irrational, supernatural falderall. I take the more scientific approach that when we die, we either enter the pearly gates of heaven or get set straight to hell. And if that's the case, then it would be impossible for a dead person to be a ghost here on earth. Impossible, I contend, because you can't be in two places at once, like sitting at Jesus' right hand and at the same time haunting the storeroom at the Circle K. But Rumson, he's a stalwart of the Southern Convention, not to mention a 20-year member of the Improved Order of Heptisoft's Lodge 23. So if he says he saw something like a spectral presence, I'll at least keep an open mind. Trouble was, our friend's subsequent behavior blurred the line between sanity and madness. See, his ghostly uncle seemed to be spending an awful lot of time with him, far more than when he was breathing, or at least according to Rumson, and we just had to take his word for it, because apparently he was the only one who could see or hear Cantrell. Like you'd bump into him at the grocery store, and he'd be holding up a melon and talking into thin air. No, no, uncle, he'd say. You don't thump a honeydew to see if it's ripe. That's just for watermelons. Then he'd pause as if listening to somebody and reply after a couple seconds, Oh yeah, well, give me credit for some kind of brains. Or during our weekly game of Omaha, he'd look over his shoulder into empty space and say, No, I'm not short-stacked, and quit peeking at my hand. I guess it's hard to show respect for the deceased when they're interfering with poker night. Rumson even saw one of those fortune tellers over in Zare County to ask why Cantrell was dogging his every step. The fortune teller waved her hands over a crystal ball and said, You all represent unfinished business to him, something he neglected in life. Just what did he neglect, says Rumson, bugging me to death? 
Anyway, after some months of this, Rumson finally stopped conversing with the Invisible. In fact, I saw him last week at Zeb's looking quite peaceful, so I said, Your uncle finally leave this earthly realm and take his place with the Lord? No, says Rumson, he's still here. In fact, he's in the chair right beside you telling me I should get a buzz cut to accommodate my active lifestyle. I've just learned to tune him out is all. Just learned to tune him out. Then he put his earbuds in and turned up Charlie Pride on his new iPhone. So I looked at the empty seat and said, You can talk to me, Cantrell. I believe you're a manifestation of psychosis, but you're welcome to chat. Anyway, let me talk about someone else seeing ghosts, i.e. our lead actress in The Night House. That is, if I'm not keeping you from a prior engagement. There is nothing. And your man? My husband took a boat out on the lake. Then you'll have to fill him in on my excellent critique. So, the story. It concerns a lady named Beth, a teacher whose husband Owen quite recently and unexpectedly used a gun to rob himself of God's greatest gift. That's right, he took his own life, leaving his wife mystified and bereaved. But is he really gone? Ghostly shapes appear, the stereo switches on by itself, and text messages are sent from the dead. Already disturbed by these events, Beth is further knocked off kilter when she discovers photos of strange women on her husband's phone, raising fears that he was unfaithful. Oddly, though, she finds that all these ladies resemble her, which she attributes to Owen having a type, as it were. What's more, the grieving widow learns that her beloved, who built their lakeside house himself, had drawn up plans for an identical place. Identical, but in reverse, a kind of mirror image of their own home. Haunted by a dream of this other house, she rose to the opposite shore of the lake, finding that very structure sitting in the woods unfinished. What the hell was he doing? She queries, a question incidentally asked by every wife at some point in her marriage. But truly, what is up with that house and all the other stuff? I mean, the apparent visitations, the strange women, and the skewered figure fi figurine Beth discovers. Well, no spoilers here. I didn't think we had secrets. Sorry, you'll have to find out for yourself if you have a mind to. You know that we're paying people to do that, right? Now, as I said, it's unclear how much of this is really is real and how much is a product of an unraveling mind. And that's even up to the final scene. A moment when some mysterious force looks to be beckoning Beth to her own end. And I give director David Bruckner and his screenwriters credit for not providing a firm resolution to that question. Better to let the audience put on their old thinking cap and ponder it themselves on their way home in the car. Rebecca Hall, with her expressive eyes and mouth, is ideal in the role of Beth, showing anger, fear, and confusion with no unnecessary chewing of the scenery. Saw her earlier this year in Godzilla vs. Kong, which I found silly. You were right. But she more than makes up for it with her thoughtful performance here. Vondi Curtis Hall, as her neighbor Mel, effectively mixes concern for Beth's deteriorating state with undertones of hidden knowledge. And Stacy Martin as Madeline, one of the women who Beth suspects of having carried on with Owen, is the picture of a flustered guilty conscience. Now, the big question is, just how scary is this picture? Well, maybe it's just old Farmer Gray's mindset here, having been inured to horror by the surfeit of fright films he's been exposed to. But I have to say I found this photo play to be more eerie than terrifying. Plus, as I alluded to with my question at the beginning, not all the logic in this film parses well. Plus, if you were to ask me, I'd say the ultimate linchpin for the supposed haunting seems a little weak. Even so, it's an effective portrait of a person coming apart, though whether it's the result of grief or supernatural malevolence, you'll have to judge for yourself. That's a plus, or so I'd say. Yes, sir. Play me out, Zeke. <laughs>